0: Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Giants reporter, and we're here for the off-season wrap-up episode. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over, I'm just basically going to unload the notebook on everything that I saw at OTAs and minicamp over the last few weeks, over the last month, few months, and then we're going to go into the off-season, right? And then in, in the next few episodes. We'll, we'll, we'll primarily rely on guests. We're going to bring in some interesting guests over the next few weeks. Uh, that'll take us up until training camp, which Coach Pat Shermer said will basically start on July 22nd. That's for the rookies and some select veterans. Uh, but right now, we're taping this on a Thursday. The Giants had their last OTA today. So the players go home now for the summer. So what are we, what dates today? Today is the thirteenth of June. And most of them don't, the veterans don't have to come back till the twenty fourth. So that's seventeen days of June and twenty four days of July. Uh what I say, seventeen and twenty-four. We're at forty one days, okay? So just about six weeks. Just about six weeks right now until training camp opens. And there's gonna be a little downtime. In the meantime Let's talk about what we saw and where everything stands. And when it comes to the New York Giants right now, there's really nowhere else to begin than the quarterback position because that's where Daniel Jones, the number six overall pick in this draft, is sitting, right? And if you listened the other day, earlier this week, Pat Shermer made somewhat curious comments in the regards to he had an opportunity to close the door on a potential competition this summer between Jones and Manning, right? Because Jones has been pretty good this spring. Eli will get to that in a few minutes as well. Uh Definitely didn't disappoint, but we know where this is going, right? The, the Giants have said it before. It's Eli's job to win games, and that'll be the best bet for him to keep his job. So to me, that insinuates that Eli Manning is going to start this season. No matter how well Daniel Jones does and how much he flashes, and he did. He threw the ball really well this spring, but there was still some rookie stuff. He's still learning. They're not going to just throw him in there. But Pat Shermer was given the option to slam the door on that, and he elected not to. He kept saying, you know, Eli's getting ready to have a great year. Daniel's getting ready to play. We're trying to get Daniel. The goal is to get ready Daniel ready for week one. He's on track. So when you say we're trying to get him ready for week one, that almost insinuates in a way they're trying to get him ready to play in week one, actually start in week one. But he also, on the other hand, said Eli Manning is the starting quarterback, and he said that on multiple occasions in in this little back and forth he had with the media. But the bottom line is he could have closed the door. He could have made it 100% there's no quarterback competition. But he didn't. He left it open just so slightly. So I'll say right now, the odds of him starting Daniel Jones, very slim. Very slim. But the door was cracked just a bit. Just a bit. It's cracked open. That was by choice. Now, I don't think it's because Pat Shermer thinks that Daniel Jones is really going to win the job this summer. I really don't. I don't think there's much he, he that that even really crossed his mind. I think his reasoning, and I've talked to people about this, his reasoning is more along the lines of he doesn't want to send the wrong message to his young quarterback. He doesn't want us to tell his young quarterback, "Hey, you really you have no chance of starting. You, you know, there's nothing you can do to earn this starting job." That can create a sort of complacency. So in order to protect against that complacency, Shermer deliberately decided, hey, I am not going to go 100% and say, Eli's our guy, he's going to start, there's nothing he can do, because in a way he said, we're going to play the very best player, right? And I know we're going to dance around the words here, but right now Eli's getting ready to have a great year and Daniel's getting ready to play. We feel good about where Eli is as our starting quarterback, and we've got a young player that we think is going to be an outstanding player getting himself ready to play. He could have easily just said something along the lines of, Eli's our starter. Daniel Jones is going to be our backup. We need to get him ready to play in case something happens to Eli. But he didn't want to make it that concrete. He didn't want to send the message, the wrong message to Jones and the young players. Some of the young players that maybe are behind proven veterans. Now, something in my mind, here's, here's the scenario. The only way Daniel Jones starts and he could be amazing in training camp. There has to be something outrageous has to happen in order for him to overtake Eli Manning and become the starting quarterback. The Giants had their chance to move on from Eli Manning several times. The last couple of years, this offseason again, they did not. They already paid him a $5 million bonus. He's counting $23 million against the salary cap, okay? $17 million in real money. Do we really think they're going to sit him? They made enough questionable moves, of you know, basically exiled Odell Beckham. Got rid of uh, Olivier Vernon. They have dead money out the wazoo. Dead money out the wazoo. They're going to pay $23 million? against the cap, to have a backup quarterback, that would just go down as just another one of their absolutely asinine decisions or questionable decisions, however you want to phrase it. It would be outlandish. If Eli Manning, why even keep him? Are you really going to have that much loyalty to him and are going to pay him $23 million to be a backup? That would be just... Complete malpractice. I mean, they could have, they could have got much more value for that money in in, in way different areas. You could have used it for the defense. You could have used it for their offense. You could have used it to keep some of the players that maybe they got rid of before. But to use it in that way, I mean, come on. I just, I just don't see that happening now. Something outrageous, an injury, which basically never happens to Eli Manning. Maybe something along those lines. Uh, Jones performing so well and playing so unbelievable and being that much better than Eli in the preseason and in training camp probably still isn't enough. But like I said, something outrageous. If say the all, all of a sudden, Everyone in that locker room knows that Jones is better right now. And they sort of have a coup and they and they really step forward and make it known, "Hey, we need to have this guy in to give us the best chance to win right now." Sort of what happened with Russell Wilson when he was a rookie out in Seattle. The difference is Russell Wilson was going against Matt Flynn, okay? So players could be like, "Well, we know Russell Wilson is better than Matt Flynn right now." It's a lot harder for guys, especially younger guys, Saquon Barkley's of the world, to go in there and tell them and to say about Eli Manning, a legendary giant player, two time Super Bowl winner. Hey, this guy's not good anymore. this This rookie's already better than him. So, like I said, something outrageous would have to happen in order. For Eli Manning, not to start week one of the season. Now, does that mean Daniel Jones will not get in? Will not play later? No, of course not. That doesn't mean that. The likelihood is at some point he does get in. If the Giants don't win games, if they start losing, that's exactly when they're going to pivot from Eli Manning. That is the most likely scenario. Now, you could debate how much losing it's going to take. I think that is a much more reasonable debate than are the Giants having a serious quarterback competition this summer? Because that I just don't see happening. But you can debate if they're 1-4, and do they pull the trigger? If they're 1-3 and and Eli's playing poorly, would they pull the trigger? Uh, Do they need to be officially eliminated from the playoff race to pull the trigger? This is during the season I'm talking about. That is a much more reasonable debate to me. Much, much, much more reasonable debate. So, all right. Now I'm going to empty the notebook, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over some Giants players from what we've seen from OTAs and minicam, and I'm going to give you one word or phrase to describe what I thought of them this spring, and then I'll give you a little description. Okay, so we'll start. We'll go. We'll finish. We'll finish up with the quarterback position. We'll go Eli Manning, and my word for him is acceptable. Right? We know he's a veteran player. We know what he could do, pretty much. But I think to me, one of the most important things was seeing him throw the ball and seeing his arm. And to me, his arm was acceptable. That's why I used the word acceptable. It was good enough. He threw the ball downfield more. He threw with decent velocity. Look, he's not one of these. Guys with a cannon of an arm at this point of his career. Probably never really was, although his arm was pretty good when he was young. He was always pretty good at throwing the ball downfield. To me, his biggest problem has been mobility. Moving around the pocket. Not necessarily needing to run or get outside the pocket and really make plays. Just to slide around the pocket and move around pressure and make enough plays and step into throws. Because we we look he, he saw ghosts. He was seeing ghosts in regards to that pressure, right? So we really don't know that because we don't see that. We don't we don't see that part of whether he can, whether he can consistently make throws under pressure at OTAs and minicamp. Quarterbacks out there, they're wearing a red jersey. They're running around. Nobody can touch them. That uh, nobody even. There's not even a threat that anyone could bump into him. So they could obviously feel a lot more comfortable standing in there throwing the ball than they do once the live bullets start getting fired in not even really in training camp, but not even until preseason or the regular season. That, to me, is where I have the biggest questions about Manning. I never thought his arm was completely shot. Is it as good as it used to be? No. Do I think it's sufficient? Yeah, I do. I think his arm is fine. I think he can make most throws. You know, he doesn't throw the ball – uh, outside the numbers, a ton in, in the mid-range. I think that, that that's sort of where the arm comes in. But look, he can make those throws if he needs to. So. I still do believe that. The arm strength to me is not the problem. So that's why I came up with acceptable Freeland Manning. Daniel Jones, I came up with overachiever. And I say overachiever. It, it, it might not be, I couldn't find the perfect word for it, but. I say overachiever because he sort of was better than we expected. Now, that's not him really doing more than he's capable of doing, which would the definition of overachiever would indicate. It's more him doing more than the expectations that were laid out for him. So I think you had to be pleasantly surprised with what you've seen from him. The arm strength, which some people question, doesn't look like that's a problem to me, I'll be honest with you. He, again... Not a great arm. He's not going to be one of these big-armed quarterbacks who just throws lasers all over the field. I think Alex Tanney might even throw harder velocity-wise than both Eli Manning and Daniel Jones at this point. But he threw the ball well down the field, Daniel Jones, really well. That was the one thing that stuck out to me the most. He uh, Accuracy, arm strength, the willingness to throw the ball down the field. Was impressive this spring. And then his athleticism, his ability to move move around the pocket. We saw him uh, do a zone read and pull the ball and and run it. And roll out and throw the ball on the run. All that looked good. Now, there was downtime. There was was bad moments as well. He's a rookie. He's learning how to play. And practice the other day. He had a rough practice the other day. He looked a little flustered. Maybe they were showing him defenses he wasn't, he didn't know what was going on out there. Maybe he wasn't completely familiar with the plays. This happens when you're a young quarterback, when you're a rookie. And that's going to be the up and downs with Daniel Jones. And that's why he's probably not ready to be a a quality starter at this point. You know, week one of his, his rookie year. And most rookie quarterbacks aren't. Very, very few rookie quarterbacks are capable of stepping in week one. And being a successful starter. So I don't think he's there. But he's not supposed to be. He's still above where maybe heading into the OTAs and minicamp with all the criticism that was out there on him, you thought he would be. So a lot to like about Daniel Jones. And then one of the other quarterbacks, uh, Kyle Oletta. My word for him is forgotten. Right? He's almost slipped into the background. It's like, you, oh my god, I forgot. They stayed drafted Kyle Oleta last year too. Oh, remember him? And part of the reason he's forgotten is because he didn't, he wasn't even out there. Well, he was out there on the field, but he wasn't actually participating in pra- most of the practices this spring. He had a knee cleanup after a tough rookie year too, where people in the building were not that impressed with the way he carried himself and worked. And this isn't even to include the fact that he got arrested. Uh, for a traffic incident. And that's been pretty well documented. So he's got some ground to make up. Just to make the roster this year. Just to make the roster. Second year quarterback. A fourth round pick last year by this regime. Right? Daniel Jones and Eli Manning are going to be on the roster. If Pat Shermer wants a veteran to be there as a backup. And they like Alex Tanny. We saw that last year. They like Alex Tanny better than the rest of the world likes Alex Tany who's bounced around on, what, seven, eight, nine teams, whatever the number is. So, anyway, Kylo Oletta kind of has been forgotten. He came back later in camp, threw the ball okay, uh, but did very little overall. Uh, some other players let's go we'll we'll zoom through some wide receivers here uh golden tate i used the word reliable to describe golden tate guy catches everything thrown his direction i did it I, i was impressed his hands his hands are pretty impressive just looks like a guy who can get open make plays and be a reliable player a reliable target for any quarterback darius slayton fifth round pick out of auburn speedster right Day one rookie minicamp, gets the yips, can't catch anything. I counted five drops in that first practice. One practice with, with only rookies on the field. He wasn't even yet nervous enough to have Eli Manning throwing him the ball and stuff like that. Five drops, one practice. Finished better at the end of practice, but then you saw drops throughout, you know, the next few weeks. Saw some drops here or there. Then all of a sudden... And I even said this, uh, Pete Prisco from CBS was was visiting one day. He's like, how's Darius Slayton look? And I said, good, if he catches the ball. And that day, he had a great practice. He's catching passes downfield, left and right, making big plays. His ability to get open was really impressive. So that's why I say improved for Darius Slayton because he got better as the OTAs and minicamp went on. So good, in fact, that he got some first-team reps on the final day. And Coach Pat Shermer even went as far to say he thought he was the most improved player out there this spring. So those are good, positive words on a, a draft pick, a rookie, who, if you think about it, could fit and have a role this year. Because if you have Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, neither are straight vertical get down the field targets. That's not really their, their top skill. That is what Darius Slayton brings to the table. So he could be a nice little compliment to them. Now, I don't think he's going to start or I don't think he's going to play 80% of the snaps or a real huge portion of the snaps, but if he continues at this level, he could rotate in there and be a big play guy on the outside and hit a couple big plays this year in his rookie year. You know, maybe like 30 catches for 400 yards or something something along those lines, which would be a pretty solid contribution for a fifth round wide receiver. Sterling Shepard, I use the word quality for him. He's just a good player. He's out there making plays on the reg uh for the throughout the whole off season. Uh, We kind of know what he is, but it just reiterated to me that, especially in a bigger role, that this guy is going to put up some pretty decent numbers. I wouldn't be surprised in the least if he got to a 1,000 yards this year. So I expect him, if healthy, to be right around that number, right around that 1,000-yard number. And and I think this, this spring only solidified that thinking for me. Corey Coleman, for me, used the word volatile. You see him making plays sometimes. You see him looking like, oh, that's why he was a first-round pick. And there's other times where they're pointing at him and maybe he doesn't seem to be in the right spot. So it's just so up and down with him. Now, he ran with the ones a bunch. He's going to get an opportunity. He looks more comfortable. He looks better. But is it ever going to be consistent enough where the coaches can trust him to be on the field on a regular basis, and produce. We're going to have to see. It's up to him, really. Right? How comfortable can Corey Coleman get to be a consistent contributor? Uh, Let's go to some of the tight ends. Evan Ingram, I used the word hamstrung because he spent all of this, almost all of this offseason on the sideline with a hamstring injury. He said that it was just uh, the Giants playing it carefully, Uh, Pat Shermer said, you know, he they didn't want to take any real chances on him until he gets fully 100%, and so Evan Ingram on the sideline again. And now this is starting to get a little concerning, and it's going to be something you have to monitor. Can he play 16 games? Can he withstand the beating of playing tight end? We know he's not a great blocker. That's not his skill set. He's a speedster. Can his body hold up? take the hits, but still hold up his hamstrings, his legs. Uh Will they hold up to the point where he could stay on the field for 16 games and be the player that he sort of hinted at being his rookie year? We'll see on that. C.J. Conrad, I used eye-opening, right? Undrafted free agent, making plays all over the field at OTAs and minicamp. I will say this about him. We'll see again. Let's see what happens when he starts taking hits. Because remember, this is football in shorts and helmets. They're not hitting. It's a lot different when C.J. Conrad has to start banging with defensive ends for real. And then try to go catch passes. But in the meantime, good hands. Seems to move really well. Made a lot of plays. Scott Simonson, I also liked what I saw from him. I thought he he was another tight end. Caught the ball really well. Oh, just a reliable player for the Giants. Now, on the defensive side, I have a couple guys here that people will probably be interested in. Uh now, now let me just, before I get to the defensive guys, real quick. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Offensive line, defensive line, I basically eliminate them. There are no real evaluations on offensive and defensive linemen when this is the, le- the style of football that they're playing. Okay? They're not allowed to hit, for real. So... You can't really evaluate those guys. So I'm leaving all offensive and defensive linemen basically out of this mix. Now I have a couple of pass rushers in here because of the linebackers and the Giants, so they do a little bit of both. Uh One is Marcus Golden. And my word for him is protected. You didn't see him on the field a ton. He did some drills, but in live... He did some individual drills. But in live team drills, you didn't see him on the field very often. Now remember... Marcus Golden signed from the Cardinals this offseason. He had, I believe it was two and a half sacks last season, missed the season before that. Right? He was coming back from a serious knee injury. But you still have to look at that and scratch your head a little bit. This guy is now basically uh, almost two years removed from his injury, year and a half, and we're still, he's still protected. We're, he hasn't got. We're not. They're not past that point with him. So, while I like the gamble on him because you could see the upside, he's on a one-year deal compared to the investment that was made in him. It makes a ton of sense for where this team is. But after watching the spring and seeing him protected, now I'm looking at it and saying, eh, something I got to keep my eye on. Is he still not right this long after? Because at this point, to me, you should be back. He had that whole season. This offseason into this year should be, okay, you're back to your old self. If we're in the spring now and we're saying, yeah, oh, we're going to play careful with him and protect him, maybe he still he needs a little bit more time, meh, has me a little bit scratching my head. We'll see where it progresses. As far as Lorenzo Carter, I use the word promise because the Giants have big things in mind for Lorenzo Carter. That's what I learned this spring. He is going to be that every down defensive player to the point where I think the Giants believe that he is going to be their top pass rusher, their no, their number one disruptor, potentially one of their best defensive players. Maybe their best defensive player overall. Now, I know they think really highly of Jabril Peppers. We'll get to that in a second as well, but it's clear. Lorenzo Carter is going to be a big, big, big part of this New York Giants defense this year. Uh, Jabril Peppers, I almost called him uh, Julius Peppers again. That's going to happen. I apologize in advance for that one. That is going to be Something that happens almost regularly. Uh Jabril Peppers, explosive. I mean, this guy is just a good-looking athlete. He has to develop more into a football player. He did last year. They're looking to continue to see him make that jump. I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's people in the Giants organization that think he could be better, better than Landon Collins. We'll see if it happens. He hasn't been there yet. I personally would probably bet against it. Uh Landon Collins is a really good player in the NFL who was up for uh, Defensive Player of the Year a couple of years ago. Uh, if Jabril Peppers is ever up for Defensive Player of the Year, then the Giants nailed it, right? They were right to uh, to make sure he was included in that Odell trade. That was a huge, huge move to get him. But we'll see. Looks explosive, though. Great athlete. You could tell the way he moves. Uh, he's got the size, and to be able to move at that size... And just make plays looks pretty impressive. And Antoine Bethea, what I noticed and the word I wrote is leader. I know people talk about oh, peppers and you know, he, he's, you know, making calls back there. Uh, uh-uh. to me, the leader on the back end, and this is why they signed Antoine Bethea, He's 30, gonna be 35 years old, I believe, or is 35, is because he's gonna be that leader on the back end. He's the one making the signals, making the calls, making sure everybody's in place. That's why he's on this roster. He's the leader in the secondary. To me, there really is no question about it. It's not Janaris Jenkins. It's not Jabril Peppers. For right now, it's going to be Antoine Bethea. Okay? Uh, as far as the cornerbacks, we'll talk about DeAndre Baker for a second. The, the thing I get from him is physical. And that's even though they're not really allowed to play and in, and in, in, uh Jab at the line of scrimmage and, and pre, you know, press, press cover on a consistent basis or really knock guys around. But you could still see, even though he can't do that and he's playing off, you could tell, you could see him playing physically or sort of bodying up receivers. And that's a positive because he's all over them. And he's a first round pick. You do expect him to be a good player, but. I like that physicality. He looks like he's just a guy that's going to compete. And the last name I have here is Sam Beal. Hadn't seen anything from him because he didn't last through one practice last year. Supplemental pick last year. I used the words, the word athletic for him. He's a good-looking corner. Moves well, fast, long, a little skinny, but you just fluid, athletic. Definitely adds a, a a sense of athleticism that maybe that secondary was missing a little bit. So that's the uh, the rundown of what I saw from more than a hand of a few handfuls of Giant players at OTAs and mini camp this offseason. We'll get to see more of them at training camp in just about six weeks. In the meantime, everybody gets to go home, get to spend time with their family. Golf, to do camps, whatever they do in the off season. Some guys get involved and they have have off, you know, jobs. Who knows? You know, I, I, I don't know if Zach Diasse is doing it now, uh, but at some point in the off season, he's like does some stuff for Goldman Sachs or or, or something like that. You know, these guys are, you know, just making sure they're planning ahead for their their post playing career, and this is part of the time to do that. Take a week or two off. A lot of guys, then they get back to working. And then we'll get to training camp in July, end of July, going into August. And that is when we'll see guys occasionally put on the pads, occasionally start banging for real. The offensive line, the defensive line, we'll get better evaluations for them around that time. In the meantime, on to the next one. Okay, now it's time for my favorite segment of this podcast. It's when I... Open the door and say, everybody, come on in. Ask all your Giants questions. Throw them my way, and I will do my best to answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants after dark. All right, let's start this week from Dread Guy one on Twitter. He says, who's a player we should watch for on the defense? And I think I, I kind of... Hinted at this before, the guy that I'm really watching for and, I, and to make that big jump to maybe really become a much more a much different player than everyone even ex- ex- saw last year is Lorenzo Carter. I mean, to me, that's the guy. I mean, he moves well. They could drop him in coverage. He even looks good when he does that. He's long. He gets his hands up. He knocks down passes. He's got good bend around the edge. Uh, just solid athleticism. So to me, Lorenzo Carter is that guy. Uh, another guy that I would look out for, and I, like I said before, this is just from talking to people. I think Pierre Olsen, who's a guy who, a defense, interior defensive lineman, who had success with James Betcher previously two years ago in Arizona comes here. I think he could have a decent impact on that defensive line as a sort of um sub package pass rusher. I think Pierre Olsen's going to factor in and it's something the Giants need. Because their interior pass rush in particular to me was maybe a bigger problem than their edge rushing. Is like they, they didn't get that push up the middle. And the, and the way the league is now, you sort of need to get that push up the middle. it's just that's where a lot of teams are doing a lot most of their damage. Is they're getting the Aaron Donalds of the Aaron Do, Aaron Donalds of the world, uh, the Gerald McCoys, the uh, uh, guys like that, the these are the interior rushers, Geno Atkins. These guys are basically getting double digit sacks from the interior. The Giants didn't have much besides B.J. Hill at all from the interior. So, uh next question is from J.T. G. Fan. He says, to this point in the time. What are Giants fans' main reason to be optimistic about the upcoming season? And I think the main reason to be optimistic about the upcoming season is the fact that, look, you're building around Saquon Barkley. Okay? You have an easier schedule. You don't need to—last year, if you remember, the schedule was brutal those first eight weeks. We knew they were going to struggle. Like, if we said if they get a, if they got out of the first eight weeks of four and four, it would be a tremendous success. Of course, that didn't happen. They went one and seven. They got beat by any decent team they played and the season was over. But this year, the schedule is a lot easier. Their offensive line is improved. Like, you're not asking Eli Manning to be a great quarterback anymore. Say, can't you just be decent? Which I think he could be behind a decent, a, a much improved offensive line, right? And still have decent weapons. And they have Saquon Barkley. So I think that is what you could be optimistic about. And then we'll follow that up with Jay Miller's 0724 asks, do the Giants have a top 10 offensive line? I'm going to say they have potential to be around there. I don't think they're going to be a top offensive line. They're going to be a top 5 offensive line. They'll probably be somewhere between 8 and 15. So can they be a top 10 offensive line? Yeah. I think they can. They're pretty good at every position. Now, the reason I say I have them still at you know eight to twelve, eight to fifteen is because they don't have any dominant players yet. Now maybe Will Hernandez can turn into that dominant player. But if you think Nate Soldier's a dominant player, I think we saw last year that wasn't the case, he's a quality left tackle. Nothing more, nothing less. Not a, not a pro bowler, not an all pro. You, you better not think Mike Rammers is coming in at right tackle if he can hold up because he had back surgery and he's getting older, switching back out from guard, back out to tackle. If you think Mike Rammers is a dominant player at right tackle, you're going to be in for a real surprise. Again, serviceable player, quality player at right tackle had been in the past, shouldn't be a, a complete liability, but also, isn't going to be an absolute strength. Now, Kevin Zeitler, good player. Will Hernandez, good player. Zeitler, though, has never made a Pro Bowl, never made an All-Pro either. So, good player. Now, maybe Hernandez can grow into that. And at center, the Giants have Spencer Pulley and John Jalapia. I think Jalapia is a pretty good player. Pulley, average. So, again, you have a lot of guys in that, okay, average, above average, good player. No, you know, great player or star player. So that's kind of why I have them in the area that I did right there. Next question is from Eric Campen at King Coffee Man. He says he's a guy who saw me at the charity game the other day. I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, what do you foresee this season, both statistically and win loss happening for Eli and Daniel Jones? Okay. Uh and that's really hard for to predict because like I said before, how much how, how much are they going to play? Personally, I don't think I don't think he's going to play Daniel Jones until they're out of the playoff race. So maybe he plays two games or so. So really how much can Daniel Jones do? So I don't see him doing much this year. Eli, I mean 25 touchdowns? 12, 13 the 14, 14 and 25 and 14, something like that. I mean, that's not some great production, 25 touchdowns in, in today's NFL. But I think as a Giants fan, you probably would sign on the dot for that. I think he threw 21 touchdowns last year. By the way, he was working with Saquon Barkley, uh, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, and Odell Beckham. Now, some of them were in and out, but all of them played majority of the season. You know, over 10 games. And he threw 21 touchdown passes. So if you get 25 and 14, I think you walk away pretty happy from that. So that that would be me. So I, I don't know. Uh Marco, M. Giants 11, says, going to camp, who is the sleeper that fans aren't talking about but coaches are high on? Uh, and i would said that before, and I think to me it's uh Darius Clayton – and C.J. Conrad. Those are the two guys, to me, that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about, but the Giants coaches and everybody that was standing there at practice, you saw those guys make immediate contributions and look like they belonged. Like Those guys look like they're going to be players, at least contributors. Now, we never know to what degree, and I don't think C.J. Conrad's going to come in and catch 50 balls 600 yards, you know, if he catches 20 balls for 250 yards as an undrafted free agent as your third tight end, that's pretty good. Or if he even makes the roster, that's pretty good. So, keep an eye on those guys. Uh, last question. Greg Samples, Samps at under, Sam's underscore n y g says, I know it seems unlikely, but any chance you think they would try to make a trade for Clowney? That's Jadavian Clowney from the Houston Texans. They definitely could use a player of his talent on defense. And yes, I agree with that. But no, I do not see the Giants doing that. A, what are they going to trade? A ton of future draft picks. All these future draft picks. I, they're not in a position right now where they should be getting rid of draft picks. They still need, they're still building towards the future, probably being good in a year or two. And I know Clowney would help that. But A, you'd have to trade a lot for him. B, you'd have to pay him a ton. This is a guy who has never had double digit sacks yet in the NFL. You just trade Olivier Vernon, by the way, who has had double digit sacks in the NFL. Okay. And, you know, he was too expensive. Now, I think Clowney's a better player, has a better future, obviously, a little younger, maybe not even that much younger, but a little bit. But to me, that seems like an unlikely move for this team. They don't even have the salary cap space probably to fit him in this year. That will be tough. They would really have to be creative with that contract because they're taking so much dead money to the Dome that it's going to be hard for them to add any significant player from now till the end of the season. I mean, you only get so much on the salary cap, and when you're willing to uh, basically have $30 million that's not even being used, that's that's for guys that you're going to get off your roster, it's going to be hard to make those any sort of significant move. So for that reason... I'd say it's pretty highly unlikely. But never close the door on anything. And if there's one thing you can say about Dave Gettleman, it's that he's been aggressive in trade so far in his two years on the job. Less than two years. 18 months. He's made a lot of significant trades. Odell, Vernon, JPP, Damon Harrison, Eli Apple. He's made a lot of trades. There is that part of it. And with that, that's the end of Giants After Dark. On to the next one. All right. Let's wrap this up. The final segment of OTAs and Minicamp. I'll give you a little breakdown, a little Jordan on a beat. This is where I explain to you, uh, what it's like to be a reporter covering the Giants or the NFL in general. And, uh, this is sort of this, th- there's one month a year where as an NFL reporter, you kind of have downtime where the league shuts down, it's pretty much from the end of this week, so mid-June, until late July. Like we said before, almost about six weeks. So this is kind of the when, as a reporter, you get to shut it down a bunch. You know, you get to go on a vacation at some point. You do a bunch of stories. uh, You, you have an off-season project of some sort usually. But for the most part, you get to shut it down for a good portion of it, or at least a portion of it. Depends on where you work. Now, 4th of July weekend is included in there, but because of the kind of job this is, things happen to pop up. They come up. You never know. You never know when something's going to happen, right? Like several years back, I remember it's uh, July 4th weekend. So it's July 5th. I'm out. I'm, I'm with my wife. We go somewhere and... Uh, couple tequilas in, and all of a sudden, I get a text on my phone. And it was uh, my buddy, who Elliot Shore Parks, actually, who covers uh, the Eagles up there in Philly. And to t- at the time, we were working for NJ.com, uh, NJ Advanced Media, together. And so he texts me, and he's like, yo, you should look into this. There was somebody from the hospital, you know, saying JPP was there. And his hand was in bad shape. And we all know now he essentially had a firework explode in his hand. and the you know, costing him a finger. He had to have a finger amputated. And his hand is, you know, you know doesn't look like a normal hand right now as a result. That, that's that's the reality. But this is just, so that happened on the night of July 4th. So this is the morning of the July 5th. You know, we're having a good time. I'm with my wife in the car. She's driving actually and I'm getting these texts and I'm like, Oh no. And uh, I, and then I start making phone calls and I'm like, you know, all right. Uh, it looks like JPP is, uh, uh, might have, you know, had a firework explode in his hand. He might have, might have blown off his hand essentially. And I was like, All right. I got to go work. Uh, basically you'll see me. Don't bo- don't bother me for uh, at least a couple days. And I was at our beach house, and I and I go, and I'm on the side, and I basically locked myself in one of the rooms, and I was sitting there writing and making phone calls for the next two days, essentially. And at that time, JPP was represented by an agent. His name was Eugene Parker, really a legend, a uh, real nice guy. He's since passed. Uh, he died several years back, uh, but he was a real nice guy. So I was talking to him, and he, you know, he was the one that was kind of running it. Cause if you remember at the time, um, JPP sort of froze out the Giants. So the Giants really had no idea what was going on. And at one point they even sent Ronnie Barnes, who's the head trainer and Jesse Armstead, who at the time, who right now is the, I believe sort of like an assistant GM, but at the, or some, some somewhere like assistant to the GM, but at the time was, he sort of was like the player liaison. Still is. I think, actually, uh, Corey Ballantyne, I believe at the funeral there, it was said that Ronnie Barnes and Jesse Armstead were the two guys that were there, too, that were spotted down there. So they went to basically check on uh, Corey Ballantyne after he was shot. So it's the same two guys uh, going out there and, and being tasked with with checking on, on injured guys. And Eugene Parker was sort of running the show at that time. You know, JPP had sort of frozen everybody out. Nobody outside of his direct circle knew really what was going on, and I kept—I was talking to Eugene Parker and, and trying to find out if the, the Giants were in the mix at any point and where everything was—and uh, it was just a, just a crazy time. But this is this is sort of the demands of the job. You never know; like you could be on vacation. You could think you're going to have nothing to do that day. There's going to be nothing. And all of a sudden, something really big happens. Something really big pops on pops onto your plate. That was July 4th weekend. So I spent all of July 5th, July 6th, and then really the next three weeks because that JPP thing dragged on for weeks of what was going to happen to him. Is he going to be able to play again? Uh, you know, He, he lost the, a finger that had to take one of them. He, there was there a question whether he would lose other fingers. Uh, there was a skin graft. If his skin was, you know, if he was going to ever be able to come back, if the Giants were going to bring him back, there were all these questions that were to be answered. And nobody really had answers at that time. So it was an interesting time, but those are the kind of things that can pop up on you. In the meantime, you can catch me on the golf course and an LBI. That's where I like to spend my, uh, one month off season. That, that, that's, that's, that's my, you know keep myself busy time. So, after this podcast, this is we're taping it on Thursday, you know, I'm going to spend the next couple days relaxing, uh heading heading to uh the golf course, maybe check out the beach in LBI, I haven't been there yet. I basically only play golf for 6 weeks a year. And it's these 6 weeks because beforehand I'm busy and then once training camp comes by, everything everything's off. I mean, then you're there every day and then the the days you have off, you're going to spend with your family. So that's it. The only time I play golf is these six weeks. And then when I go on trips, sometimes to, you know, when you go to go away to games, keep squeezing around on Saturday in September in in Tampa Bay or October or November in California or something. You ain't playing in November in New Jersey. That's for sure. I'm not playing. I don't play golf. Unless it's warm out. Speed limit at least. The speed limit in most places nowadays, 65 degrees. So with that, that's the end of the off season. Breaking big blues. You can always reach out to me. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, email. Make sure to download the podcast, favorite it. Uh, give us a good rating. You get them on Apple Podcasts, the ESPN app, Google Play, any podcatcher. And uh, like I said, give us a good rating and tell your friends because it's important that we grow this podcast. All right? We got to make this big. I need some people to entertain. I need more questions. So help us out here. Help us grow this podcast. Till next time, we'll be back. Probably a pretty special guest. So uh, make sure you come back. We're going to try to still do the podcast every week. I will not guarantee that in the off season, but I'm going to try. Try my hardest. And with that, see you next time.